Hey, my name is Sean. I'm the pastor here at Grace Church. Really glad that you guys are here. Uh, we are in the second week of this Bad Blood series, and, and most Februarys we talk about relationships uh, here at Grace, uh, but most of the time we'll pick specific relationships, and we make the teaching targeted to that type of relationship. So we'll talk about marriage, or we'll talk about dating, or we'll talk about um, uh, parenting, or we'll talk about living with parents or siblings, or our work relationships, our relationship to our community, that type of thing. But we're doing a little bit different uh, this year. This year for our relationship series, uh, we're making it about the principles that impact all of the relationships that we have. And, and truthfully, um, uh, all relationships will at some point hit friction, uh, we, uh, uh, conflict. Um, uh, I can impress people from a distance, but if you get up close, I promise you I'm going to offend you, right? Um, everybody we're close to offends us. You don't have anybody that you're really close to who's never hurt your feelings. I mean, you just can't... When, when broken people get together, we, we, we break people, you know? I mean, that's, that's just... We're all... We all, I believe, have a selfish bent towards us that we can only hide for little bits at a time. Um, you thought you married the perfect girl, and then you realize you married the opposite of that, right? Uh, she's just a normal girl, really. And so some of us will go from relationship to relationship looking for the perfect person, not realizing that we're taking a broken person into each one. Like the one thing common in all of those dysfunctional relationships is us. Right? Like we're, we're, we're still, and so we're, we're, all, we're all a little bit broken. And, and uh, so we want to talk about what it looks like to live in healthy, since none of us are going to have a perfect relationship, what does it look like to have healthy relationships? So we're focusing on uh, bad blood, the awkwardness, the, 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 the dysfunctional parts of our relationships with other people, and things that we can do to reconcile those relationships that are most broken. So Pastor Ken, last week, opened up the series talking about the path to peace uh, and reconciliation in relationships that have bad blood is paved with empathy, right? Uh, talked about uh, his story of, of the conflict he had at that printer over in Walpole and the miscommunication that was happening. And then when he understood uh, what was happening on their end, when he saw the circumstance from their point of view, it gave him a different perspective, which gave him the emotional capacity uh, to be a little bit more understanding and generous in that relationship. And how that, that is the first step towards reconciling any broken or dis- dysfunctional relationship is considering how this brokenness affects the other person because I, I don't think that that's our natural default setting. When you hurt me, all I'm focused on is how you've hurt me, not how you were hurt first, right? Because hurt people hurt people. We know that, right? Broken people break people. Does this make sense? Emotionally healthy people don't do to you what they did to you. Emotionally healthy people don't do that. So somehow they became emotionally unhealthy and that, that spilled out into their relationship with you or you spilled out o- over in, into them or, or they responded in a way you didn't understand and that ramped up the, the, the conflict or the emotional energy in the conversation. And so uh, the, fir- the first step towards, towards reconciling those relationships is, is empathy, the ability to see this circumstance from their point of view. So here's my question. In what relationship do you have bad blood? Do you understand what we mean by that? Like it's, it's, it's broken, it's dysfunctional, it's unhealthy. Um, I, 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 I'm of the opinion that the older you get, 
the more frequently you have broken relationships. I, I don't know that there's anybody in here except maybe the very youngest who's in here. And the younger you are, maybe the more likely this would be true that there's no, you can't think of any unhealthy relationships. But I don't think you have to get very far in life or into adolescence before you find out that your best friend from third grade is not your friend any longer in ninth grade. Right? I mean, you're 14 the first time you get your heart broke or 12 or... You know what I'm saying? I mean, like we all experience this from a young age and, and having these broken relationships, it doesn't seem to ever go away. So what are some things that I can do, some patterns I can put into my life that will help me live in healthy relationships, even if I can't make them perfect? What does that unhealthy relationship look like? Think of the person that you have bad blood with. How would you describe, how would you tell the story of that broken relationship? Uh, when I think about the broken relationships in my life, I'm, and I'm not talking about, uh, like I'm at a good place right now in my marriage, so there's no dysfunctional dysfunction right now, and there has been, but there isn't right now in my, in my marriage or, or my relationship with my kids. But when I think of the people that I have bad blood with, I, I think of the three people who've hurt me worst in my life. Uh, you know, lots of people, everybody that you allow close to you is going to hurt you, right? Like they poke you in the eye. Billy Jane has poked me in the eye um, only two or three times. Because somebody will always tell on me if I say any more than that to her. Um, but, but I'm talking about like wounded me deeply, right? Like cut me, <laughs> like donkey says to Shrek, you cut me deep. You cut me deep, uh, Shrek, you cut me deep. Um, I can think of three people. And if I were to look at it like a real cut, uh, I feel like all of these injuries uh, have three different stages. There's a stage where I'm initially cut deeply and I'm bleeding over onto everything. Like it's just bleeding. You've been hurt so bad that it, 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 it didn't just hurt when you were around that person. You, you couldn't stop thinking about it in any other area of your life. And so it's bleeding all over everything. So I've been hurt in ways that had nothing to do with my family that I was hurting around. Like I, I bled all over my family in this hurt. Do you understand the metaphor? I've been hurt deeply, I'm bleeding, and I'm bleeding on all of these other relationships. It, it has a negative impact in my marriage, it has negative impact with my kids, it has negative impact in the way that I'm able to relate to other people because of something that this person that none of these people have anything to do with has done to me, and how that's impacting me right now because I'm still bleeding, right? Little time goes by. Uh, I've talked to a good counselor, a friend, a mentor, and that, that, that wound begins to scab over, but it's just a scab. So I, I, can, I, can, I can function in a healthy way in all other areas of my life, but anytime that scab gets picked or I bump it on something, it begins to bleed again. Does the metaphor work? And then there are times or there, there are, there are uh, circumstances in which I've been cut deeply, but that scab has has healed and now it's a scar and, and I can be around that person again. I can see them or they can come up in conversation or I can see somebody saying something nice about them on Facebook and I don't have a negative reaction anymore. Now, some of us aren't at that scarred over place yet. We're still bleeding or we've got scabs because we can't see them being praised on Facebook by other people without it wounding us again. And that's that scab being picked, right? But in the three people that have hurt me most, I honestly believe that in this first relationship over here, that that one has scarred over. Uh, not too long ago, I was in an environment where that person was there with me, and there's a group of us, and we're smoking cigars together, and, and then uh, I went back to that, to that house, and I told Billy Jane, and don't get stuck on the cigar thing. Stick with me for this story, all right? 
Uh, but I, I go back to the, the house and I told Billy Jane, I said, I, I, I think I'm finally healed from that. We were hanging out tonight and I, like, I even intentionally tried to engage that person in a conversation and it went really well. Like I, I felt like they're okay with me now. I'm okay with them. Like I'm talking about like a deep wound, right? So I'm not talking about, you know, they insulted me in front of friends. I'm, I've been hurt deeply by like, like catastrophic. Like I've been, I've been sabot, like, like you, you know what I'm talking about. The difference between little wounds and big wounds. I've been wounded by three different people. And I honestly believe that that first person that wounded me, I believe that has scarred over now. I, I think I'm, I'm all right around them. Like I... Um, we're cool, right? Like we're never going to pretend like we're best friends. We're not best friends. I'm just saying that that doesn't bleed anymore. But these other two, these other two do, right? Now, now this one over here, and I'm not going to eliminate this one because I'm going to be flipping you guys off, so I've got to be careful with what I do with my fingers here. Um, but this, this one has become a scar. This one is a scab, and this one is a scab. I'm not really bleeding on either one of them. And, and I thought this one was becoming a scar, uh, but I saw this person a couple of months ago, and I was like, ooh, like it, it was bleeding a little bit, right? Like it didn't, not bad, like it's turning it into a scar, but it's it still got some tender part to that scab, if we can stick with the metaphor. But that person wounded me. This person didn't even wound me. This person wounded my mom. Right? And, and that person, that, that's, actually, that's actually my brother. And there was an argument that they had in 1989 where my brother had pushed a bunch of buttons and just, just pushing for a reaction, just pushing, pushing, saying things no son should ever say to a mother. And she finally got to the end of it and had had enough. And that chick lost her flipping mind on that boy. And he got exactly what he deserved. Amen. But that, in a million times, she apologized, right? But he, what she did wasn't as bad as what, like, you know who should have been apologizing a million times? Him. But he never did. He just held it against her that she lost her cool one day. Like, I'm surprised she only lost her cool one day. You know what I mean? And all this came back up again in 04. All of it came back up again. And he called our family and disowned all of us for her, right? She had gone out there to spend a weekend with, with him and his wife. And I don't know, some little thing she said didn't mean anything by it. Picked the scab off for him, right? And homeboy just bled on everybody. Called me up, don't ever want to hear from you again, right? Hate the whole family, I'm tired of this, blah, 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 blah. Said all kinds of horrible things. And that, that wasn't even the worst of it. A year and a half ago, Garrett graduated from high school. And uh, that's my oldest son. And came up with the idea of a family heritage scholarship. That's what we called it. And uh, it's just a tricky way to get my family to pay for my kids' college graduation, my college <laughs> education. But the idea is to get the whole family to chip in something each semester for each grandkid, each niece, each nephew. It doesn't matter what it is. 
It's just a token. Like, it could be 20 bucks. I mean, I don't even care what it is. What I really wanted was to be able to say to Garrett, the night before he graduated, we took him and any of the family who could get into town. We went to Top of the Hub, Top of the Prudential Building for a nice, really expensive dinner. You know, saved up for that and everything. Like, we paid for it. Just, we wanted to honor, like, this is like your, you know, your coming of age. You're, you're a man now. You're, you're graduating from high school. And, uh, I, you know, we're, it, was, it was a really cool thing. And what I wanted to be able to say to Garrett is, your entire family, all your aunts and uncles and grandparents and everybody, we're behind you. For the rest of your life, we're behind you. You'll never be alone. You will always have your family support. And not just because you're Sean and Billy Jane's kid, but because of who you are. Like, I wanted to be able to say that. Like, welcome to the family. You're a man now. You're part of this family. You're an equal part of this. That's what I wanted to be able to say. So everybody was on board. And I reached out to my brother. Like, right? Like, I'm reaching out to my brother. Like, look how good I am. And he said he wanted to think about it. Didn't get back to me. Didn't get back to me. Didn't get back to me. I called him on Monday. Dinner's Wednesday night. Said, not ready. You know, not ready. Wednesday, still hadn't heard from my brother. As we are walking out to the car with grandparents and aunts and uncles and everybody, as we're walking out, I get him on the phone. And I say, hey, Brian, are, Brian, are, are you in? Can I say to Garrett that his whole family is behind him? And he said, I'll pass. You know what I said in my heart? Screw you. Except it wasn't near that PG. Right? You hurt my kids? I freaking hate you. How dare you take all that crap from my mom and dump that on my son? Don't pass that dysfunction on my family. As long as I live, you will never see my son again if I have anything to say over it. I'm going to protect him from you because you're freaking rotten. Sorry, I need counseling. <laughs> I'm not going to give you any details about this other person. I had a concern that somebody might know them. And... But the thing is, is, there's more people who are hurt by this bad blood than just you and that other person. Who else has been hurt by that? See, this whole thing between my brother and my mom didn't just impact them. It hurts my kids. Who else has been hurt by your bad blood? See, the bad blood I have with this person, this person, and this person has had a negative impact on my marriage to Billy Jane. At different times, it's impacted my relationship with my kids. When we make bad decisions, innocent people suffer. Other people made horrible decisions to hurt you, and you were innocent, and you suffered. And we're still making bad decisions that other people are suffering. We just don't care about the innocent. You know what I'm saying? Like, we're more concerned how it affects us than it does other people. But the truth is, there are innocents that are in our life who we are bleeding on right now. We just don't look at it that way. The truth is that bad blood costs me personally peace and it complicates the good relationships in my life too. 
So in week one, we talked about how empathy paves the road towards peace and reconciliation and those relationships that have bad blood. Here in week two, we're talking about the vehicle that moves us down that path. And that vehicle that moves us down that path of empathy towards reconciliation and peace in those broken relationships is forgiveness. I don't want to talk about this today. I feel like I am the biggest hypocrite in the room because at least you're smart enough not to talk about it. But if I'm only allowed to talk about the things that I've got nailed down in my life, we're not going to talk about much here at Grace Church because I'm still a work in progress and you're just going to have to be okay with that. But here's why I don't want to forgive. I don't want to forgive because I don't want to communicate to Brian or to this other person that what they did was okay. Because it's not. And if I, I feel like if I let them off the hook, then there's no consequences to their bad behavior. And it's not so much that I'm worried about them doing it again because I'm not going to get close enough for them to do it again. I just don't want them to feel like it's okay that they did that. <laughs> Am I allowed to be honest in church? But forgiveness is not condoning what they did. I feel like it is, but that's not what it's about. Forgiveness doesn't mean that what they did to me was okay. Forgiveness also doesn't mean that I have to forget, forgive and forget. That's a load of crap. I don't know anywhere in the scriptures where we're told to forget. Because the truth is, it's remembering with some of the people that have hurt me in my past that has taught me to keep my kids away from them. Right? So we're not told to forget. So forgiveness doesn't mean I condone what they did. Forgiveness doesn't mean um, the, uh, uh, that I have to forget what they did. And forgiveness doesn't mean that they had to ask for it. Now that's what I learned this week that I didn't know before preparing for this teaching. I've always felt like I'll forgive if they ask, and good thing they haven't asked either. Because I have felt self-righteous in my hate towards them. That's the truth. Here's what unforgiveness does. Unforgiveness gives them a permanent place in my head to ruin everything else. Unforgiveness gives them a room in my building, in my house rent-free. Unforgiveness gives them a permanent bedroom in my home that I can never go in without getting hurt. That's what unforgiveness does. I'm giving them rent-free space in my heart. It's not costing them anything. It's just messing me up. You've probably heard this before. Unforgiveness is like drinking rat poison and then expecting the rat to die. Conversely, Forgiveness is like setting the prisoner free only to realize you were the prisoner. But how do I do this? How do I find the emotional capacity to forgive this person, not just for what they did to mom, but how that impacted and what they did with that to me and to my family? 
How do I forgive this person for that lying and the betrayal and the pain that they caused? How do I do this? I think that we find some answers in Romans chapter 12. If you've got your Bible, please go to Romans chapter 12. It's in the New Testament. It's a long enough book that I think that if you were to thumb in your Bible around three quarters of the way toward the end, you would find it. Maybe a little bit closer to the end than three quarters, but I don't think it's too difficult to find. It's long enough. I think you'll see one of the pages. Romans chapter 12, and I'm going to start reading in verse 18. And here's what Paul says uh, in the Bible, Romans chapter 12, verse 18. Do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. That sounds nice. <laughs> Be nice to everybody, please. How's, right? Could it get any more sad? Do, do all that you can to live in peace with... Now, now, here's what I like, is that he infers that there's a possibility that you can do all you can and still not be able to live at peace with people. Right? Do all that you can. Do all that you can to live at peace with everyone. There's an inference there that I might not be able to live at peace with, any, with everybody. But it is on me do all that I can to get there. Right? He didn't say that I, like, I, I might not be able to live at peace with everybody, but I can do all that I can do to live at peace with everybody. But now they might make that impossible. I don't allow that to be a justification for me not trying because I'm still going to do all that I can to live at peace with everyone. And let's be honest, there are some people that it's easier to be nice to than others. Like, I can be really nice to cool people at work. Can you be nice to cool people? Can you be nice to nice people? Yeah. I, like, like, most of the people in the world, I got no problems with this first at all. Seriously, no issues at all. I can be nice to most people. It's just the some people that kick my butt. Right? See, my wife is that way. Drives me nuts. Like, my, my wife, she's incredibly sweet. If you know my wife, you know this is true. But she's got one of those personalities that where every, everybody likes Billie Jane, and I hate it. If you don't like Billie Jane, it really is because you're the jerk. It's just like, like adults call her Miss Billie, and like it fits. Nobody calls me Mr. Sean. Like my personality is too strong. I'm like too out there. Like I, you either love me or hate me, but bro, you ain't going to be neutral. Right? I don't let people, like, I don't purposefully not let people be neutral. I just, like, I've got no, like, I've got like zero or 10. I've got like no five on my volume dial. Like, I'm either, right? Like, I'm a, hey! Or, or I'm, whatever. Sorry, that was weird, but you know what I'm saying. Um, so they're like the, the, the Billy Janes of the world, the, you know, the Miss Billies, right? Um, uh, easy to live at peace with them. It's just the Shans of the world that, that we, 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 struggle, we struggle with, um, and, and he, he acknowledges that. So I'm, I'm glad that he does, but, but look at what he says. Do all that you can to live at peace, uh, to live in peace with everyone. Verse, verse 19, dear friends. Now, I, I love this because it's kind of like he gets tender for a moment because Paul's been hurt. Uh, there's another, in one of Paul's epistles to the church uh, toward the end of his life, he talks about pray for this person and this person because they betrayed me and abandoned me when I was in prison. Man, you, like, when you get like, down, like, like at the bottom of your barrel, and then the people who should be down there with you and, and, and like understand when they abandon you, bro, that's hurt, right? 
So he says, live at peace with everybody. And he goes, now friends, I get it. I'm glad he changes his tone here. He's not acting like this is going to be an easy thing to do. So he goes, friends, friends, dear friends, never take revenge. Leave that, leave what? Don't take revenge. Leave that, leave what? Leave revenge. Leave revenge to the righteous anger of God. Some of your Bibles might say, leave that to the wrath of God. Same thing, wrath, righteous anger. Leave revenge to the righteous anger of God. For the scriptures say, I will take revenge. And here he quotes the book of Proverbs. I will take revenge. I will pay them back, says the Lord. This whole living at peace with people. I I feel like I'm living at peace with this person and this person because I avoid them. But can I honestly live at peace with somebody that I'm secretly hoping has their world fall apart? Like, I'm just waiting for them to get theirs, and that's going to be a good day. Then can I honestly say that I'm living at peace with people that I secretly wish misfortune on? Revenge isn't just external retaliation. I believe there's a passive, aggressive part of revenge that involves my internal celebration of their misfortune. Like, I'm not proactively making bad things happen back to them. I'm just secretly wishing for it. You know what I'm talking about. You'll see somebody praise them on Facebook, and you're like, and it just, like, it just picked a scab. I wish everybody knew about them what I knew about them. Don't you hate everybody praising them? Acting like they're all this or that when you know they're a piece of crap? Can I say that? Because they are. (laughs) I got proof. I will show you. And you secretly wait for people to ask you? Say, well, since you asked. You know, I don't like to gossip or you know, trash people behind their back. But you're just looking for information. So, since it's just information, I'll just share with you the facts. Let you come to your own conclusion on how horrible they are. (laughs) Right? The problem with me is, is I just don't believe God's going to keep his promise. I don't really believe that God's going to get them. But you know what this verse says? This verse tells me that it matters to God that they hurt me. He says, I will pay them back. I just don't believe that he really will. That's my problem. Well, the truth is he might not. You know why? Because who's in the way? That's why he says, you leave that to God. It's his space. Because as long as you're carrying the torch of hate for them, guess who isn't going to? As long as you're trying to get them back, who isn't going to make sure they feel the consequences of their sin? God. So truthfully, if vengeance, if wrath belongs to God, and if wrath is the consequence of sin, and the truth is they've sinned as much against God as they ever have against me, the truth is, I've sinned more against God than what they sinned against me. 
right? And as long as I'm making them owe me, who isn't going to collect on that debt? God isn't. So whose job am I trying to fill? Whose seat am I trying to sit in? See, this isn't really about them. This is about whether or not I'm willing to submit to the authority of God in my life and, my, and the broken relationships in my life. And the truth is I'm not. Because I don't believe he'll do what he said he'll do. Now, if I really did believe that God was going to pour out his wrath and judgment on them, if I really did believe God was going to pour out a heaping helping of kick your butt on them, how would that change the way I felt about them? If I really believed they were going to feel the full consequence of God's anger for what they did to me, how would that change my attitude? If you really felt like somebody's world was about to fall apart for what they just did to you, irrevocably, I didn't say that word right, but I'm not going to try it again. The bitterness is replaced by pity and compassion. You know why? Because I'm not Johnny from Karate Kid. I want to be Karate Kid. I want to be the other guy who walks back to the coach when his leg's already hurt and he's up on one leg. And the coach says, sweep the leg. And the guy with the cool hair, (laughs) that guy, right, goes back out there to sweep the broken leg. And then Johnny's back on the bench and he goes, put him in a body bag. Remember that line? How many of you guys saw Karate Kid? Those are the Christians in the room. (laughs) All right. Nobody wants to be Johnny. The guy who's over there like, like pouring it extra on. Like you know he's about to like, like be in a wheelchair for life. And you're still going, put him in a body bag. Give him more. Give him more. Give him more. Ruin his marriage. Now ruin his kids. Make his kids hate him. Make him poor. Let him die young. Let his kids die. Like, okay, now I'm just like, like, like that's just horrible. Right? Because if you really felt God's wrath was going to be poured out on them, You ain't Johnny, are you? You're not that guy who's just secretly wishing that more and more and more bad things would happen to another person. So the truth is, I'm really a whole lot more like Johnny than I am Karate Kid, and that bothers me. If I really felt like God could take care of them for me and that he really was going to, then my hate would turn to pity and compassion. And if my attitude toward them changed, then I bet my behavior would too. How could you tangibly see that I trusted God enough to change my attitude towards them? He answers that in the very next verse. Verse 20. Instead, here's what you'll do. If your enemies are hungry, you'll do what? How can you do that? Because you really do believe that God's keeping score. You really do trust that God will even out the game before the buzzer goes off. And because you trust God to keep his promise, 
you're not going to hold that against them anymore. So if they were hungry, you would feed them. If they were thirsty, you would give them something to drink. And the truth is, Paul says, in doing this, you will heap burning coals of shame on their heads. Now, I've, I was raised in church, so I've heard that verse a lot, right? But what does that verse mean? Like, I've never really heard it explained very well. I always just felt like the nicer to them, the more judgment and wrath of God he was going to pour out on them. Well, that's kind of weird that God says, be nice to them so I can spank them harder. How is that consistent with anything else in the scripture? Right? Be nice to them so that worse things will happen. But it's not what it means. This is a throwback to something that Solomon had written in Proverbs chapter 25, verses 21 and 22. And in that passage of scripture, Solomon talks about those who are enemies that we are to be kind to. And the idea behind this is that in those days and in many other cultures throughout history, uh, they would cook with coals, right? Uh, the, the wood, not, they wouldn't just light a fire and cook on that. They would wait until the wood had, 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 there were coals in the fire so that there was a consistent heat in the oven. And that's when they would cook. And if your fire went out, you, I guess you could start another fire from scratch and wait a long time for all of that to happen. Or you could speed things up significantly by just going over to a neighbor's house and asking for one of their coals. Then you could take that coal in a pan back to your house, stick that in your oven and get the fire going a whole lot quicker. Does that make sense? And so what Solomon was talking about is, is if your enemy's fire has gone out and they've gone to everybody, exhausted all other, other avenues to get a cold, to get their fire going again, and they came to your house and, and by some chance of desperation actually asked you for one of the coals out of your oven, don't give them a coal. You keep a coal and give them the heaping pile of your heat. Give them such a burden of blessing that they have to carry it on what? How do they carry heavy loads back then? On their head. In being generous toward them and feeding your enemy when they're hungry and giving them something to drink when they're thirsty, you are heaping coals of generosity on them that will lead them to shame. Shame over what? The way they what? You ever tried to hate on somebody who's always nice to you? Bro, that's a fast current to swim against. At some point, we give up that struggle and go with it. Like you can't keep hating somebody who's always nice to you. The truth is your acts of kindness and generosity is really going to lead them to the place that you are hoping they would get to from the very beginning. And that's repentance and remorse for what they did to you. Your hate hasn't gotten them to that so far, has it? That doesn't work. Martin Luther King Jr. figured this out. He knew that the best way to beat hate was more hate. What beats hate? Love. Homeboy got that from what? You guys knew he was a preacher, right? He didn't invent the Bible. He probably read it, though. And that's all he's saying. Didn't that work for us? 
in our rebellion and rejection against the authority of God in our life, it was the understanding that Jesus showed up in human history to take the punishment for every stupid act of rebellion against God and selfishness towards other people. Wasn't the recognition of God's generosity towards us in the middle of our sin and selfishness that changed our hearts toward God? And the truth is, God isn't asking us to do anything he hasn't already done first. The truth is, God wants them to get to a place of repentance and remorse for what they did to you. But he also knows, without your goodness and generosity toward them, it isn't going to happen. He knew that from experience And his relationship with us when we were acting as though we were enemies of his. He's just trying to get them to repent toward us like he got us to repent towards him. Through generosity. Love. So what should you do? How should you respond if there's somebody that you have bad blood with? I'm going to give you two steps. Number one is this, accept the apology they never offered. I don't see anybody writing this down. Do you want to get this better or not? Accept the apology they never offered. Do you remember Jesus when he's crucified on the cross? He said, Father, forgive them because they don't know what this is doing. I can pray, God, forgive Brian for what he's done to mom and our family because he has no idea the world of pain he's in for. Proof? He called me last summer saying that he needed to get things right with our family because he's having anxiety heart problems, which ticked me off because even then he wanted to get things right so it would benefit him. I'm just saying he's feeling the consequences of his actions. Are you with me? God, he has no idea how miserable he's going to end his life. Please, God. Right? Accept the apology they never offered. Number two, bless them in a way they've never been blessed. What kind of people hurt people? Hurt people. How in the world could I receive unearned forgiveness? You know how many times I've sinned against God the same way and asked God a million times to forgive me for the same thing, knowing I'm going to do it again someday, and I'm just going to ask him to forgive me again, and he's got to forgive me? Nobody's ever hurt me like I've done that to God. And the truth is, he does still keep forgiving me for that. So if I am willing to receive that kind of forgiveness from God, how in the world can I not offer even a portion of that kind of forgiveness to Brian and this person? You know what it says in the Our Father? Forgive us our trespasses. What's the very next word? What's the next word? As. We forgive those who've trespassed against us. What if God started answering that prayer? And he only forgave you to the degree you forgave 
number two and number three. <laughs> We'd be squealed. Am I right? We'd be in a world of pain. We've been praying that all along. Never realizing that we're kind of counting on him not answering that prayer. But then Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount that if you don't forgive men their trespasses against you, Matthew 5, 14, neither will your Father in heaven forgive you yours. That's my most unfavorite verse in the Bible. I don't have that one underlined. Romans 12, 21, don't let evil conquer you, but conquer evil by doing good. Here's my question. Has evil conquered your heart in this area, yes or no? Has evil conquered your heart? Has evil conquered your heart? It has for me. I'm being honest. I've not done well with either one of these people. And I'm not doing well with them right now. So he ends this chapter by telling me how to get to a good place. But overcome the evil that is where? See, I always thought the evil was in them. But it's kicking my butt. I'm going to overcome the evil in my heart toward them by what? How does verse 21 end? By doing what? By doing good. To who? Doing good to who? See, we never thought about that. It's by doing good to them that I overcome the evil that is in my heart. So who do you have bad blood with? Write their name on the backside of your communication card. And the second thing I want you to do is, by the way, you will never passively find what you don't actively pursue. So if you want peace with them, if you want reconciliation, if you want to get if you want to get that room back in the house of your heart, you with me? You've got to actively pursue it because passively waiting for everything to magically go away hasn't worked yet, has it? It's not going to. You've got to proactively do something. You know what I have to do as a result of this stupid teaching this weekend? I have to call my brother. I do not want to talk to Brian. I don't want to talk to him. I don't. But I stinking have to. I need to. If God will reach out and love me when I'm unlovely, then I, dang it, I have to reach out to him and love him when he's unlovely. How can I receive that kind of love and not be willing to offer that kind of love? Now, the truth is, some of us have never received that kind of love. We feel like we're the enemies of God, or at least that God's the enemy of us. So maybe you don't even recognize that God has reached out to you already, that he's already paid for your sin, that the goodness of God leads to repentance, and that the good things that you do have in your life are God's attempt to woo you back to himself. And that if you would just quit punching him in the face, you could get close to him. If you would stop running from him, you would find him because he's been running after you all along. You think it's just a coincidence that you were here for this teaching today, but all of this has been working together just so that you could hear that no matter how far you've run away from him, he's chased after you. And has paid off your debt that you do owe him 
for one reason, so that you would turn from it. You would get to the end of your pride and tell him that you are sorry and ask to be forgiven. And you could be adopted into a relationship with God. Because honestly, only after you've received that kind of love are you capable of giving it. And so this bad blood is going to keep bleeding until the bad blood you have with God is taken care of. But for those of us who've already been forgiven by God, we've got no excuses. We've got to let this go. Let's pray. God, let your will be done in each one of our hearts so that your will can be done through our lives. Heal us from what they've done by helping us to recognize how you've already forgiven us for what we've done. God, you forgave us. We can forgive them. doesn't mean we give them access. It just means that we're releasing them of the debt they owe us because they don't owe us. They owe you. And you can collect way better than we can. Move us to compassion towards our enemies. Let the bitterness be replaced with pity. Let the hate be replaced with love. And let our blessing lead them to turn from their selfishness back toward us again. But we're going to have to turn from our selfishness first. Give us the strength and the reminders to do that. Help us to take seriously the action steps we've written down so that we can actually get past this. And we ask this in your great name, Jesus, and pray and say, Amen.